0: Jericho Road is a ministry of St. Luke's Episcopal Church. It's a Sunday school class that happens at 9.30 on Sunday mornings and you're welcome to join us. This fall we are studying Genesis, the story of us. and I hope we'll get you thinking about an old story in a new way. In chapter 2 of the Sunday School class that began earlier in the fall, we learned that about 10,000 years ago, humans first settled into cities. For hundreds of thousands of years before that, we just wandered around. We just, we hunted and we picked up things off the ground and we chased weather and chased game and we ate whatever we gathered along the way. And this worked just fine until around 10,000 years ago, we settled down with the domestication of wheat. We settled down and we built cities, and at first glance, this seems like an upgrade, but it's not. You see, with the domestication of grain, scientists have learned that our very diet suddenly became less nutritious. We only ate one thing. Oh, and then also we had to reorder our lives together. There had to be slaves to pick the wheat, and there had to be a wall to protect the wheat. There had to be an army to guard the wheat. There had to be a king to rule over the wheat, and what had been an idyllic existence... As a hunter-gatherer, now became a daily grind, all dependent upon rain. Has anybody ever been curious about the presence of the golden calf in the Old Testament? God's people would always run after a golden calf. The golden calf was a rain god. They were afraid. So 10,000 years ago began a a tale of misery that continues to this day. Now, the story that I've just told you is science, but Genesis 1 through 11 says the same thing. And in our last chapter, which was last week, We learned that God was displeased with the Tower of Babel, but it wasn't so much the tower that they built, but it was the fact that they settled. They failed to live up to what God had intended for them. They didn't move around. They didn't fulfill their purpose, and they built a tower. God dreamed of something different, and what's this dream? The dream is life lived in an ethic, given to them in the garden. An ethic, which is basically a parameter so that we can be free. An ethic, a parameter so that we can be safe. And the ethic is vocation, permission, prohibition. All three held in tension. God gives us something to do, gives us freedom to create, and then there are laws or God's precepts. There are things that we can't have, boundaries that we can't cross. And if we hold these three in tension, then we'll live a whole life. But as we saw in Genesis chapter 1-11, through 11, they failed again and again and again. They failed as individuals, they failed as families, they failed systemically, they failed corporately. And here in Genesis chapter 12, where we begin our story today, we have a new start. We now officially enter recorded history with a new humanity. Wow, Genesis chapter 12 is that important. If you've got a table Bible, I want you to turn to page number 8, which is Genesis 12, verse 1, page 8, because we'll do a little highlighting later, so if you've got a table Bible, I want you to open it. For the rest of us, I've got it on the screen. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Chapter 12 begins the story of a man named Abram, later known as Abraham. What you're seeing behind me is a mud gate to the city wall of Dan. It's a real place. Abraham walked through the gate you're seeing right now. You're looking at something that Abraham saw 4,000 years ago. It's found in Genesis 14, verse 14. And the reason why I tell you this is because Abraham was a real man living in a real place and a real time, and he walked through that gate. I like to say that the gift of the Hebrews or the gift of the Bible is history. The Hebrews alone of the ancients, and what I mean by the ancients, Bronze Age people, they were the first people to record record real people in real time. Oh, other ancient people wrote things down. We have hieroglyphics, and we have cuneiform script, and we have archaeology to show that they would record the lives of kings or the countries. But ancient people thought in wheels. They thought in circles or cycles, maybe cycles of the moon or cycles of the harvest, They would say that a king ruled for a thousand years, and that didn't really happen, but they didn't think of time in that way. Rather, the Hebrews did something different. They recorded the life of a man who was born and lived and died and followed God, believing that if God did something for Abram, God would do it for us. This is the gift of the Bible. If God did something once, God will do it again. But there's even more in the three verses that I just read to you. There's more than just newspaper recording. First is the circumstance. We know enough about Abraham and his wife, Sarah, to know this already. I find it curious that human history begins with a hopeless situation. When I was in seminary, I had this marvelous teacher. He taught the same class, Old Testament class, for 40 years, and he always did the same thing. His class was the first exam that you would have in seminary, so you can imagine how terrified people would be. I mean, they they, some of us were older, we studied hard, you know, we want to make the home folks proud, we've been reading Genesis and Exodus, we we're going to have a test on it, we wanted to do good, we wanted to send home good grades to all the people who had supported us, and Murray knew this, and so for 40 years he always had the, ri- the class ahead of us, the, the, we were the rising class, had the class ahead of us perform a surprise skit. They would burst into the room right before we took the test, and they performed the book of Genesis to the musical Oklahoma. Isn't that sweet? And I remember Sarah, Abraham's wife. They were always picking older woman from the class above, and she had a basketball under her dress, and she sang, I'm just a girl who can't say no. Right? I love telling that story. So we know that Abraham and Sarah were old, and their hopes for a child had been dashed. They, they were in a hopeless situation. Time had run out for them, and so God would have to do something for them that they couldn't do for themselves. Friends, I like to talk about something that I call the principle of resurrection. I read it somewhere, I think, but I've made it my own. The principle of resurrection simply means that God gives us little resurrections, little experiences of hope, little savings, little restorations, little moments, so that we know that there's a big one coming for us one day. God always helps us when we hit the wall. Abraham and Sarah hit a wall, and thus begins human history. And we all know what that's like. Another way to look at Genesis is to look at Genesis chapter 12 as moving forward. This now is a second creation. In Genesis chapter 1, God spoke the world into existence, and then for 11 chapters, nobody was listening. In Genesis chapter 12, God speaks again, and Abram follows. He listens, and a new humanity is possible. Remember that history begins with trust. Those who built the Tower of Babel, they settled. They didn't trust. Abram would step out, and he would grow. And here's the key point. This new humanity, this possibility of being different somehow, this possibility of being God's people, our story that begins 4,000 years ago, it doesn't begin with a command. It begins with a promise. And thus begins a relationship built on trust and built on love. If you don't remember anything else I'm saying, our start as a new people begins with a relationship. Not a command, not a vending machine, not a doctrine to assent to so that God will love us more. It's simply a promise. And God said, and all the families of the world will be blessed through you. Which means that Abraham will show the world how to be different. And you've heard me say this before. For a thousand pages of the Bible, no matter how weird the story, it's always the same. You're going to be different, or are you going to be something else? Are you going to be God's people, or are you going to follow the world? Are you going to be safe and whole and happy, or are you going to be burned out and stressed out and sad and mean and tired? It's our choice. Are we going to be different? We're going to be something else. Abram shows us how to be different. But, this is an important but, human history begins with Genesis chapter 12 and a promise, but it takes a while. The promise just takes a while. A while. And we know something about this, too. All right, so if you've got your open Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, beginning with the first verse. Genesis 15, it's on page 10, just a page over. Isn't that gate cool? The gate you see? I just think that's the coolest thing ever. Okay, Genesis, this is Genesis chapter 15. Uh-oh, that's the wrong thing. Uh, don't, don't read that. We'll go, you look at the gate and I'll read it to you, okay? It's Genesis 15. Fifteen. beginning with the first verse on page 10, I'm going to read it to you. Now, what I'm about to read, read to you is this. Human history begins Genesis chapter 12. Three chapters later, the relationship is strained because the promise hasn't come true. Abram is wondering if he needs to settle like the Tower of Babel. He's wondering if he needs to hedge his bets to lowball his expectations. He wonders if he needs to make his slave an heir, which was the tradition of the time. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born to my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. And then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. If you've got your table Bible open, if you've got a highlighter nearby, I want you to highlight the word reward. Just highlight the word reward because... The Hebrew language can mean many things. There are only 8,000 Hebrew words. We have 170,000 English words, so Hebrew words are naturally going to be poetry. The word reward means gift. It's a one-way gift. It's a one-way thing. It's a gift that's not earned. It's grace. Abram receives grace at the beginning of human history. And the grace is specific. The reward is specific. Abram's dream of a child will come true. This is not, he's not promised inner peace, inner healing. He's not settling for something uh, that's not going to come for him. God promised him everything he ever dreamed of, which was land and a child to give it to. And in verse chapter 6 that I just read to you, Abram believes. This belief is key. Belief in the reward is everything, friends. If we're going to be different in the way that God wants us to be, to be different. We've got to believe in the grace that God holds out for all of us. We've got to hang on to it. Even when we can't see it, even if we're not feeling it, we've got to believe it's coming for us. God knows the dreams you had last night, and God wants it for you, wants it for you, wants the best for you, wants you to be happy, wants you to be whole, wants you to be in love with him and in love with the world that he gave you. This dream would come true for Abram, but he would have to wait. And in the waiting, he would trust and he would grow. And I've got my own story. I've, I've only, I have only believe that God has spoken to me twice in my life, and they both came in a dream. And I'll have to tell you about the other one later. This, this is a very simple dream. At the time I wanted to go to seminary, it took me a long time. I, doors kept closing. I couldn't get there. I was so sad. I had committed my life to the Lord and I couldn't get anybody to listen (laughs) and so I kept banging up against walls and banging up against walls and finally I had a dream and God said this to me said this to me specifically yes you heard your preacher say that God said something to him okay so it may be weird but I, I suspect we've all got some weird stuff in our lives that that could only be an encounter with God and God said to me Rich will you follow me if your dreams don't come true will you follow me if your dreams don't come true and I remember in my dream, I went, okay. <laughs> and then doors started opening, right? And once I, once I let go of what I thought I, I was supposed to have, then, then God gave me more than I could even, even dream of. Well, if we were to keep reading Genesis chapter 15, we don't have time, but I want to describe it to you. Something very strange happens. It's one of the more weird chapters in the book of Genesis, uh, but we need to remember that these are Bronze Age people, and I'm going to ask us to enter into a Bronze Age world in just a moment. What happens when we read Genesis chapter 15 is that Abram falls into a dream. He's asked to cleave animals into two pieces, birds and animals. He's asked to cut them in two. And in his dream, a smoking pot travels between the cut pieces, which means absolutely no sense to us, right, because we don't live in their world. So let me, let me clue you in onto what I believe is happening at the end of Genesis chapter 15. It's a covenant that's being ratified. It's something that they all understood. Covenants were made in their world, but specifically covenants were cut in their world you cut a covenant with a neighbor here's how it works in a world that's dangerous and they don't have civil services to protect you like a police force or even an army one would have to enter into a covenant with a powerful neighbor in order to have safety So that if you were living next door to someone who could protect you, you would literally cut your hand with that person so that there would be a sign, a scar of a covenant that you could show at any time to reveal that you were protected. That's the first thing that happened. You would have a a scar somewhere, hand, arm, whatever, to show that you were protected by your powerful neighbor. Then... Also, in sharing this covenant, this covenant that you cut, you would also share a piece of your own name with that person. It would make you family. Names being simpler back then, let's say your name would be Joe the sheepman, and you entered into a covenant with your next door neighbor Fred the cattleman, which means that you would have a cut, you would cut the covenant, and then your name would now be. Joe Fred, the sheep cattle man, and his name would be Fred Joe, the cattle sheep man. And then now you would be protected in that world. You would enter into into that kind of relationship. The, The covenant was cut. In this dream, at the end of Genesis chapter 15, they all knew what was happening. But we have to learn, because we're not Bronze Age people, God was ratifying a covenant that had been cut with Abram. Abram and God are now have gone a step deeper. It's now more than trust, it's a covenant, their family. Two chapters later, Abram will receive a piece of God's own name Abraham. He becomes Abraham. Now now he has a relationship with God that is, that is deep and undivided and, and unbreakable. He has cut a covenant, and for generations and generations and generations to this present day, there would be a sign, a mark on Hebrew children to ratify this covenant, and it would be what? Circumcision. Circumcision. Exactly. That's the cut. That's the sign of the covenant, and it begins in Genesis chapter 15 but he tells Abram to go outside and look at the stars. So shall your descendants be. I like to say that we're those stars. We're the stars that he saw. But how did we get into the story? Well, I'd like to, I'd like to tell you, I think I know, and it begins far away in another place in time at a place in Mark's gospel called Caesarea Philippi. Turn with me to eight, page 820, if you will, Uh, And you can find it, page 820. It's Mark 8, chapter 27, actually, and it's a turning point in Mark's gospel. Uh, We're simply told this that Jesus and his disciples traveled to Caesarea, Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You're the Messiah. And he sternly ordered him not to tell anyone about him. Y'all remember that story? And then Peter kind of steps ahead just a little too much. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. You're putting your mind on earthly things, not on heavenly things. It all happens in this place that you're looking at right now. This is a niche next to a, a place of worship in Caesarea Philippi. Now, this gets right by us, Caesarea Philippi, because it just sounds like another Bible place. I mean, Caesarea Philippi, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Galilee, they're all names, right? Caesarea Philippi. It gets right by us. But let me tell you about Caesarea Philippi just for a second, because this is all going to come together uh, in a moment. Caesarea Philippi. Let me see if I can supplant a name here. Uh, Jesus and his friends traveled to Vegas. No, no, it's not even that. Jesus and his friends traveled to Reno. No, it's not even that. Jesus and his friends traveled to Phoenix City. Yeah, exactly. This is like low-end gambling, okay? This Cesare of Philippi is a nasty place. It was, it, was a, it was a shrine built to the god Pan. Remember Pan, the little half-goat man? And so they did the really weird half-goat man things there. And it was a place where Roman soldiers kind of went cut loose. And it's just not, it's not a really nice place. And look, it's not a place where Jewish boys would go. They, they wouldn't be anywhere near this place. There are all sorts of places in the land of the Bible that were first-century places where Jesus would studiously avoid, and you would think that this would be one of those, Caesarea Philippi. Why is he there? Well, let's unravel the mystery just a little more. If you've got your Bibles, open to page 820, and I want to read to you just a few verses later, in Mark chapter 9, beginning with the second verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, He was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around. And they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. They say the transfiguration can only happen one of two places. The traditional spot, the traditional site of the transfiguration is the top of a mountain called Mount Tabor in lower Galilee. But for many reasons, that's an unlikely spot. Now, Christians have made it holy for praying there for thousands of years but it's not a high mountain, for starters. It, it is a mountain apart, but it's not a high mountain. It was also so heavily populated in that world that, uh, that it might have been unlikely for Jesus and his friends to find a quiet place. And besides, if you read the text of Mark's gospel carefully, Mount Tabor is out of step with the story. It's, it's, not, it's not near there. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in the land of the Bible. It has snow on it much of the year. It's currently a ski resort. Here's a fun thought. Instead of going to Vail next year, who wants to go to Syria? All right? Uh, But people do ski there. They they ski there, and and, and it, it, it it is a high mountain. More specifically, Mount Hermon is the place where Abram had his dream. Remember what I said to you? Abram was a real person living in a real place at a real time. This gate that I'm showing behind you, this gate of the city of Dan, it's a half a mile from Mount Hermon. Caesarea Philippi is at the foothills of Mount Hermon. It's at, the bottom, it's at the bottom of the hill. I believe that the transfiguration and the ratification of the covenant and the dream of Genesis chapter 15. I believe Genesis 15 and Mark chapter 9 are the same story. They're the story of Jesus, they're the story of God, they're the story of the Holy Spirit, they're the story of humanity touching God in a covenant to the story of God touching earth. Touching earth again and again and again. Remember what we know about covenants. They always have a cut, they always have a sign. Remember the story that we know about Jesus. When he appears to his friends in his resurrected form, he appears to them, how? With scars. Now, God could have raised his son any way he wanted to. He could have raised him whole and perfect and erased the pain that had happened to him. But those scars, I believe, are our sign of a covenant. The covenant that began in Genesis chapter 12. The covenant that God has always longed to have with his people. The covenant that he he dreams for us. The covenant that he longs for us. The family that he wants us to be for him. The relationship that he wants us to walk with him. The way that we can be different with him and for him. These scars are the sign of the covenant, and we even get a new name. The name is Christian, child of God. Amen. Our mission is to be an open, inviting, and serving community in which Jesus Christ is the center of our life and the gospel is modeled and proclaimed in word and sacrament.